that we could pray as Paul prayed, Christ in us, the hope of glory in Colossians 1.27 or Galatians 2.20 where he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That we can live in such a way that we love Jesus and, and, and we know it. It's not a show. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 21. There is a definite divide of theme And so not only is this a prayer, the second prayer that we find in the book of Ephesians to the church of Ephesus, um, it's also kind of a closing out of this section. In the first three chapters, Paul has been talking about the height of glory, the heaven's glories that await us, the things that we have in Christ right now. In chapter 2, we learn that we have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ, that we have been reconciled to God as one, both Jew and Gentile. And so therefore we stand as one in the church before the Lord through the cross, through the work of Jesus on the cross. We've been given access to God by the Holy Spirit, having become fellow citizens with the saints. And that word of becoming fellow citizens speaks that we have the rights and privileges of all the other saints as believers in Jesus Christ. And, and on this earth we view some of the human instruments that God uses And we think of the great stature, perhaps, of some great people, like after the close, we're going to be looking at Fanny Crosby's hymn, To God Be the Glory. And there's a line in that hymn where she says, when Christ I shall see, Fanny was blind, and yet she wrote a hymn that depicts one day seeing her Savior in heaven. Billy Graham, or Chuck Smith, the founder of the Calvary Chapel movement, we have these great people that we can look up to, but we are fellow heirs. All the rights and privileges, they belong to us, both Jew and Gentile alike, is what Paul has been presenting in these first three chapters. That it's through faith in Jesus that we have become God's holy temple, building our lives up on the foundation that had been laid by the apostles, by the prophets. And as we align ourselves with the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ, We've been taken to the height of heaven's glory, and as he closes out this prayer for the church of Ephesus, it's a prayer that we can rehearse ourselves. I would encourage you to make note of these prayers that we have in the Bible. 
the examples that we have, and so often using the Lord's Prayer as an example to pray, there's other prayers in the Bible. This is one of them. In a moment, we'll see four specific things, and maybe you can find more than four, but I brought it down to four, that Paul prayed for the church of Ephesus. And I believe that Paul is praying for us today, that we would have the Lord do and work in our lives. As we get into verse 14, it begins with, for this reason. Now, verse 1 began the very same way, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. At that point, he broke his train of thought in verses 2 through 13. He started talking about the mystery of Christ, and, and it's as if he put parentheses, it's called a parenthetical break, in the text, in his thoughts, and now he's getting back to that thought for the reason that I've just talked about, all the things that the Lord has given to us, his glory that has been afforded to us. Realize that when Paul talks about these things that have been given to us, he's not saying someday that will be yours. He's saying they're yours right now, whether you realize it, whether you know it and have a comprehension of it. These are the things that God has already done for you. And for this reason, he said, I bow my knee. Now, to bow a knee, it speaks about a position of submission as we come before the Lord. Pastor Mike McIntosh, as he closed out the Midwest retreat on Wednesday over in Indiana, he had us, as always, have communion. But after communion was over, he had someone come up and, and lead worship, and he goes, now I'd like us to bow our knee to the Lord and, and just finish this retreat by asking God to do a work in our lives, a further work, or whatever the prayer request was, it was all between you and the Lord, but it was while we were, if you were able, on your knees before the Lord. Now, I can say that as I get older, sometimes it's hard to get on the knees. It's not as easy as it used to be doing a little work at the house, and I had to buy some knee pads. Maybe we should get some knee pads that say it's prayer warrior on them because it's not as easy to get down as it used to be. But it's really the submission of your heart. Pastor Chuck Smith said of this, he said, it isn't the position of the body, but the position of the heart that is important when I talk to God. All the way over from my house to the church, driving here, I was praying for Lily. I was praying for my family. I was praying for... Um, I was just starting to run through some of my pastor friends, Pastor Jeff, who lives out in California, and John, who's in Florida, and John, who's in Las Vegas, and Mike McIntosh, who's in San Diego, and I don't know where these men are today. They could be on vacation. They could be speaking at another church somewhere, but I was asking God to bless them no matter where they were at, and even as I got closer to the church, I began to pray for this fellowship, and all the way walking into the door, I was driving, I was walking, I was sitting, but I was in prayer and asking the Lord just to work on this day as we gather together. I was praying for this fellowship, for this message for this hour right now. So he bowed his knee. I was thinking about Paul when he first came to the Lord back in Acts chapter 9. It was kind of a forced submission. Remember the road to Damascus? Saul was going out at the time his name. He went by his Hebrew name, Saul. Later on, he would go by his Greek name, Paul, and we know him better as that. But he was going out to destroy the church in Damascus. He wanted to arrest and bring them back for trial. And if they would not recant their faith in Jesus Christ, they would be put to death. Paul told Timothy that I was the blasphemer, having 
voted to have people put to death, that this was his life, but the Lord met him on that road. And a bright light, I don't know if Paul was on his face, if he was on his knees, what the position of his body was, but he was on the ground. He was off the horse and on the ground before the Lord. And it was a forced submission, and he surrendered that day his life to the Lord. But now he's a seasoned warrior. Now he's been through the battles. Right now, while he's writing this, he's in prison. But he's still bowing his knee. And I think as a seasoned warrior, he understood that his strength came from the Lord. His strength came through humility. His strength came through submission. And when he would pray to the Father, and he's, he's directing this prayer to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He did so on his knees. I don't know if Paul was, he was writing this, and we know that he had people who would write for him, and he would dictate, and sometimes he would write with his own hands, but I don't know if he physically got on his knees while he said this prayer. Perhaps he did and just had somebody note it down. But here's the prayer that he prayed for us that day. In verse 15, it, he's still kind of prepping the prayer, his introduction. He says, from the whole family in heaven on earth is named. So God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven on earth is named. Think about the whole family in heaven on earth. We think about those believers who have went on before us and are with the Lord now. My mom and my dad are part of that number today, but we are named, whether we're here on this earth or we're in heaven. If we are part of the body of Christ, we are part of the body of Christ. The location does not matter. We are still his. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And the four things, the first is found in verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Paul has had a lot to say about the riches of God in the book of Ephesians. In chapter 1, verse 7, he spoke to us about the riches of God's grace. In verse 18 of that chapter, he said, the riches of the glory of God's inheritance. Chapter 2, verse 4 he referred to God being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he has loved us. In verse 7 of chapter 2, he said that he was asking that God would show us the exceeding riches of his grace in the kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In verse 8 of chapter 3, he talked about the unsearchable riches of Christ. In verse 16 here, he refers to the riches of God's glory. He's praying that first and foremost as he prays for us. And that's why I say these are great prayers just to take the passage and, and say, you know, I want that because I do. I want this. How many of you wouldn't want to be strengthened in the inner man, the inner woman, the inner person, to have strength within? That means strength of character, strength of soul, strength of mind, to surrender all to Christ in that way that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Now there's two Greek words at play to define the word strengthened and to define the word might. The one for might is dudamus. It's the same word that's found in Acts 1.8 where the Lord says that 
the church should go and tarry in Jerusalem. And there in Jerusalem, the Lord said to them, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. To think about the power of Christ, the dunamis power of Christ, it makes me think of, well, because I'm a preacher, man, it makes me think of proclaiming the word and having a thousand people come to faith. That's never happened for me. But I can dream. I still have those dreams every once in a while. But to proclaim the word, the power to do ministry, the dunamis power, it's an outward thing. Uh, In the book of Acts, you shall receive power. And we know in the book of Acts that when the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 came upon the church, that almost, it says about 3,000 souls were saved that day. That's power. Power to do the work of ministry. But as I was looking at that, thinking about the Acts 1-8 model, it's you shall be my witnesses. It's kind of an outward flow of God's power through your life. But you can't know that power rightly unless you have that inward flow of God's power in your life to be strengthened on the inside. It speaks about an inner strength and might of the Holy Spirit working in our lives to change us from the inside out. Did you know that song when you picked change us on the inside, change me on the inside? You read the scripture. Wasn't that good? (laughs) It's that inward strength. See, I've seen and we all know evangelists that have been out there, great men and women of faith who have been out there, who had some kind of outward power. There was something going on in their lives, and yet they failed in their lives because they did not have this inward strength. And God has set these individuals on the shelf. And I believe that sometimes the Lord lets us get away with some of the outward deutimous power. But if we don't get in check this inward strength and might in our heart, the strength of our soul, this inward man, this inward woman, eventually the outward stuff will go away too. And I think if you would work on the inward stuff, and we all we can do is ask the Lord, please help us. And and it's a work. It's a work in progress. But I think if we get the inward man being renewed and strengthened with the might of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that the outward stuff will just be a natural. It'll just happen. But it needs to happen inside us first. And that was his first request in this prayer for the church of Ephesus and for us. That God would grant us according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Secondly, he prayed in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. To have Christ dwell in us. It's something that happens at salvation. The moment we're saved, Christ indwells our lives. But Paul is going deeper here. He's talking to the church here that Christ would dwell in them through faith. He's talking about the Lord taking residence in our hearts. He's taking occupation of our throne. I uh, was thinking about an illustration that Carl Westerling gave when I was in the school of ministry. He was teaching through Romans when he gave this illustration. And maybe you've seen this illustration before. If I was good, I would have it on screen for you, but I'm not that good. In fact, I just thought about it when I came to church this morning, but he had uh, three circles that he had drawn. And in one circle, there was a chair, or we could say the throne of our life, and Christ was on the outside of this particular circle, and the individual was sitting on the throne of his heart, throne of his life. Second circle had Christ inside 
the circle, but the individual still sitting on the throne. Christ was in, but he wasn't on the throne. The third had Christ sitting on the throne in the circle and the individual sitting at the side of Jesus Christ. And I think that kind of depicts this prayer, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that Christ is on the throne of our life, on the throne of our hearts. We had uh, prayed and has been mentioned, we'd sang from Psalm 51 in verse 6, he says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, in the hidden parts, you will make me to know wisdom. It's talking about an inward power, an inward strength that the Lord desires. And then to dwell in our hearts in this way, um, having Christ sitting on the throne, that goes back to that inward strength. It ties back to the first part of this prayer, that Christ would dwell on the throne of our lives, would be in our hearts. God said in 1 Corinthians 6.16, he said, I will dwell with them or in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. But Paul is taking it deeper here. He's wanting Christ to settle down into our souls, to be rooted at the very center of our lives. I was thinking about it, the church of Laodicea. We know them in the book of Revelation the best because although they've been mentioned and mentioned once by Paul in his epistles, there's no epistle written to the church of Laodicea. And if there had been written, we don't have that copy. It's not in our Bible. So we don't know other than that they were believers and that Paul mentioned about them. He prayed for them also. But then in the book of Revelation in chapter 3, the Lord Jesus talks to the church of Laodicea. Now they were part of the body of Christ. They had a candle on the lampstand. They had a messenger, an angel to the church of Laodicea. Jesus was speaking to this church who had become self-reliant, and we know them best as the lukewarm church of the seven churches of the book of Revelation. They had said, I am rich and have become wealthy. I have need of nothing. This self-reliance that they had, it's like, I don't need anything. But Jesus said, do you not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? It was to this church that Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, and I, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. It's to this church, uh, Revelation 3.20, that Jesus said that. I have been guilty of using that very same passage for someone to accept Jesus Christ at his, his first time. This is what Jesus wants to do. He wants to come into your heart. He's standing at the door and he's knocking. But in the context of that passage, the Lord Jesus was talking to his church. And he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. That circle again. Jesus is outside. He's not on the throne any longer. That Christ may dwell in you that he may sit on our throne of our life, that he would invade our lives. You know, if we don't allow this to happen, we then become the church of Laodicea. We then become the lukewarm church. We then become what Christ said to them, that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, and you wouldn't even know it. See, the church of Laodicea thought everything was good. Times were good. They had everything that they needed. They had need of nothing, they said. They were a wealthy church. But the one thing they lacked, it 
was the one thing they needed the most was Jesus Christ. Somehow he got outside the soul of their hearts. And Jesus was knocking and saying, let me in. And it's the prayer for Paul that he may dwell in your hearts through faith. That we could pray as Paul prayed, Christ in us, the hope of glory in Colossians 1.27 or Galatians 2.20 where he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That we can live in such a way that we love Jesus and, and, and we know it. It's not a show. I've had people put on the Jesus show for me, especially as a pastor, especially when they want something from their pastor. And it's when you're working with Love in the Name of Christ and Love, Inc., and, and people come around the church needing help and stuff, they can get pretty church-sounding in their language. They can, you know, make you think that they love the Lord. And I remember in Zion once, a guy coming in and saying that I've heard so much about your ministry, and I was just an interim pastor. I mean, they didn't even have a pastor at the church. I was just filling in. I'm thinking, you don't know anything about me. And yet he was trying to make it sound so churchy. What I discovered with this individual, that he'd been working scams at many of the churches from Antioch to Zion in Lake County. They put the talk on, but it's not real. It's not Christ within. They just know the outer language of it. And so often we can get trapped. We still are believers in Jesus Christ. We have the language down, but Christ is no longer dwelling on our heart's throne. And that needs to be. Number three, it's his third part of this prayer in verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. That's an interesting prayer because he's saying, I want you to know something that is beyond your knowledge. It passes knowledge. You can't know it, but I want you to know it. And he even takes it to the width and the length and the depth and the height. And we can think about directional, you know, as wide as you want to go, as long as you want to go, as deep as you want to go, as high as you want to go. Ever discovering the love of Jesus Christ. I think it surpasses knowledge in such a way because it's a continual learning process. The more we learn about Christ, the more we learn about his love, we still have more to learn about Christ. We still have more to learn about his love. And I believe that's why Paul said it passes knowledge. We'll never completely know the love of Jesus Christ, though we may get a glimpse of it. And we have gotten a glimpse of it through Scripture. But this isn't all that we're going to experience about the love of Jesus Christ. When we get to heaven, we're going to see him with his nail-scarred hands, and we're going to get a better understanding of it, but we'll spend eternity in worship. And we'll be trying to discover the width and the length and the depth and the height of this great love that the Lord has for us. It passes knowledge. In 1 John four ten and 11, John wrote to us and said, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. 
realize that this isn't it, this life. God has so much more in store for us. World without end. One day we're going to be with our Lord in heaven. Father, I pray that you would be with us now, Lord. And as we close out this time of your word, I pray, Lord, that as we sing this hymn, that we would just sing our hearts out in praise to you. For, Lord, you are glorious, and you do do exceedingly abundantly far more than I, I could possibly ask or think. And I thank you, Lord, for that abundance that you have shown. And I pray, Lord, that you would just help us, perhaps you're daring us to ask in such a way that's according to your will, that we would even see you do a greater work in us and through us. But it's my prayer today, Lord, that if it's that work that you need to do in us first, and I believe that's what you desire of me, that you would have your way, that you would strengthen the inner man, Lord Jesus, that you would sit on my throne, that you would be my God in all that I do and all that I think and say. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. (laughs) 